Hello and welcome to the 2022 season of the St. George's Rod and Stop, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters and I am back as your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis. And I'm joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you and how have you entered this year? Good day to you, Lindsay. Um, uh, compliments of the season to you and blessings for the new year and then every everything that you and your family will touch will be a blessing to you and to others through you. Uh, I started uh, I started on, on the 16th back at work after a three-week um, holiday period in which I was we were able to go away as family and enjoyed the 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 weather on the Hautbeek coast um, oh. and did a bit of, of, of being on the sea with uh, going to the seal island. And so that's how I, we entered into our year, um, living in, in Hangberg at a guest house there. So it was great fun. I uh, had my first swim for the year in the swimming pool because the beach was way too hot. <laughs> and um, uh, somehow pollution had entered the shores because human beings were there carelessly allowing, the, you know, their packets and papers to fly around. But my, oh my, how full it, it was in terms of human beings uh, flocking to mm. seaside. Um, as you well know, I celebrated my birthday uh, yes, two weeks uh, ago. That's also part of the entry into the new year uh, for me. And we have a whole host of, of um, cousins and sisters and brothers that are celebrating their birthdays in the January season. So we've been um, busy uh, congratulating one another in the family. Um, and then, of course, it was a joy to return to work uh, on the 16th of, of January. and. Um, we have also now uh, decided to be to return to the historical uh, times of holding church on Sunday mornings. So from tomorrow onwards, we back to a seven thirty and a nine thirty service. Of course, uh, keeping the protocols in place. Mm. And um, it would seem from what I have. Have seen people are keen to get back to church. Yes. Um, but of course, we can only just do 130 year at St. George's and at St. Mark's, just close to 100 and St. Monica's 20. <clears throat> um, and of course, um, amidst all of this, starting, we, you know, as, as those have moved on with our lives, we um, don't have school going children or grandchildren. Um, just yet, the school going for our children is as 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 developed into their careers now. Um, so I looked with fondness back at the time when I was interested in studying checkers and pep stores and <laughs> stationery columns and advertisements uh, for for and you know meeting. Um, eager parents who are on holiday now looking for but 
type of crayons that teacher wants. Yes. So that was, that was, yeah. And I trust, I mean, I know that you and your family had been uh, challenged this year with a bereavement. So uh, given all of that, uh, on behalf of the congregation, I do say to all of you, our condolences and the assurance of our prayers, the loss of your brother-in-law. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a difficult start to the year, obviously. We were called off the beach on a sweltering day on the 2nd of January. Yeah, we were flirting with the idea of, of returning to church, um, but I hope that everyone who does, does mask up. And um, the only information that I can add to what's already out there is that N95 masks are the best to wear when you are in enclosed spaces. Um, and then surgical masks for when you are between indoors and outdoors in well-ventilated areas. So do that information what you will. Um, yeah, you're probably going to hear this later, tomorrow, whenever you do listen to this, um, the colic that the Reverend will be reading uh, just to call our minds together and then we'll jump into what is the third Sunday, the liturgy for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Over to you, sir. Let us pray, my brothers and sisters. This prayer is on your screens. So let us pray together. Holy Spirit, Jesus began his ministry in your power. Descend on us today that we who are Christ's body will accept our calling as he did. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the, and the Father, one God forever and ever. Amen. So the first reading in the 7.30 service is from the book of Nehemiah. And he's an interesting cat because it's one of the few completely historically accurate characters in the Bible. Like multiple scholars can confirm that this dude actually existed. So Nehemiah was a cupbearer and a eunuch in um, Artaxerxes' court in Persia, and then he had a bit of a soft spot for, for the, the Hebrews, and so he asked to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, which he did, apparently the walls he rebuilt in 52 days. Um, and so, and so this story, which is Nehemiah chapter 8, um, verses 1 to 3, 5 to 6, and 8 to 10, is kind of, it illustrates how he try to bring the Hebrews back in line with the laws of Moses. Because um, then he left, went back to Persia and came back and they had backslid again. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting situation to have a foreigner who takes so much interest in your culture that he tries to restore all of, like restore law and order um, according to the tenets of your belief system, uh, do, do you have any uh, do you have any insights into into Nehemiah and his impact on on the, the Hebrews? I think um, let me firstly say that um, I find your pronunciation of his name very interesting <laughs> because I grew up uh, with it being Nehemiah mm. uh, as as a pronunciation. Now. In my understanding, a very limited understanding, Nehemiah and Ezra are, as it were, to be held together. Yes. Um, and of course, it is um, 
post-exile where they have to now rebuild, call to rebuild uh, Jerusalem, rebuild this city that God ordained. And um, he was governor of that uh, designated governor. And it's very interesting how a written order by the king in Persia gave him the authority to go in and with the priest, governor with the priest, mm. uh, <clears throat> seeks to gather the people around the rebuilding. And um, what I think is, is very crucial, I mean, he plays a very dangerous role um, as a, a, a foreigner in, a, in an exile situation. So he's basically a slave. Yes. But a trusted, he was a trusted personality. He had quite good credentials for the king to be able to draw him. Because if you are the wine taster, mm. sure that the king doesn't die at the cost of your own life. I mean, that's huge sacrifice on your behalf to be able to stand in that kind of gap uh, to deserve the king. And if you are going to do it, then you must be supremely trusted. Uh, by these authorities. So, you know, what I find very interesting is how politics, culture, and religion are all seemingly sort of held together in the common encounter mm. of mm. people's lives. And, um, you know, when, when there's no doubt that his influence of his you know, he's never lost a sense of his roots. Yeah. And Ezra, a very strict priest, um, never lost the, the, the essence of their religious culture in spite of the exile. Hmm. Um, where, you, where you, you know, whereas the ordinary, in order to survive, um, you just gave up and allowed a sort of inculturization of your faith and of your cultural beliefs. So when you're under those circumstances, the generation that you're raising would have been influenced more strongly in that way than in the ways that you were raised up in. So yeah. one, could, one could even wonder the kind of conventions that they would be. But being there in this uh, political court with the king, um, and being the kind of personality he was and person he was, he never gave up on his background, his upbringing, and his faith. So he must have had the opportunity as he won the king's trust to talk about this fallen city, mm. to talk about the importance of this city. So, so e e enough for the king to say, well, I think that in honoring you, I want you to go back and rebuild the city. And then, of course, him and Ezra hit up a wonderful relationship to get it. And, and then it came, of course, with its own struggle. Mm. So they were a team mm. together. Um, and, and, and as you say, lots of scholars um, uh, have, have reference to him uh, and the role that he played. Um, uh, of course, his name would be among... It's not just Hebrew uh, historical um, uh, celebration, but also included in the annals of Persian history. 
yeah. uh, because of the role that he played. And so um, uh, one would then see a man who is enslaved and yet free. Mm. What kind of a person was he to be able to live that kind of life? Um, and how trusted he became. He, he, his faith in, interpreted or, or, or um, uh, informed his political mindset um, and, and how he realized you couldn't build the nation again without the church and without the people. Mm. Mm. No, it's, it's very interesting. So the scene is, is set very beautifully here. And, it, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all, people, of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So it's like this is just a beautiful interpretation or uh, translation. Um, just the, the kind of scene that it's sketching here. It's referencing like the parts of the walls that was now being rebuilt. Um, it's referencing that the people were there. It's referencing the differing, the differences within the people who are standing there as one person. Um, and then it's also going through all of the motions um, of Ezra, just all his rituals that he's doing. And, 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 and it, you can kind of get caught up in the idea of worship for the sake of worship. And as St. George's is now returning to 7.30 and 9.30 services, do you think a lot of people are going back just to fall into those traditions and those, those rites and those, you know, just the practice of worship? Well, I, I would hope that the COVID scene has made many to rethink the value of their faith and the value of worship and the value of church and community. And above all of that, who is God for us in all of this? And I would have hoped that all that we were trying to do in order to reach them would have kept the connection alive and going, that their church did not stop at any moment, mm -hmm. even though we couldn't gather. And I mean, your brilliant podcast had the theme about it, exploring faith in the time of the crisis of COVID. 
So it was saying uh, COVID has maybe stopped us from doing everything else, but faith is just so personal and yet uh, it's got that uh, the potential of community at all times that we stay together, that we are, as it was said here at the beginning, they, they gathered as one. There was a sense of unity. And, and I think people are longing for the kind of, 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 of hope that is generated when people gather. Um, the kind of energy that we feel even though we have to sit apart because of the protocols. Mm. The kind of, of focus that pulpit and altar and sanctuary gives us. The, the centrality of God in our lives. The cross reminds us of the crisis of human brokenness and challenge as it reminds us that the sacrifice of our Lord was that of redemption. Mm -hmm. So we may have to journey through the death of the cross to get to the glory of the resurrection. And so all of those symbolisms, which we don't have in our homes, uh, um, they were missed, I think. And, and also to be able to listen together, you know, when scripture is read, when the liturgy is um, dramatized in, in, in the act of worship, when uh, the Eucharist is uh, um, extended in the way that it is with that great um, um, invitation of, of drawing near, of coming closer, of bonding, as one author said, in mystical unity with God and with each other. I think there was a deep longing for God uh, and for God being celebrated in um, a corporate act, uh, as such as the liturgy on a Sunday morning. So people were longing to be with each other before God, but to be before God um knowing what the desert that COVID cause had done to us mm -hmm. and um, how some perhaps more than others had suffered great losses mm -hmm. along the way, uh, personal losses. Um, so I think that there is um, this kind of, I mean, I was going to say evangelical expression, and it's not the kind of evangelical expression that people think. Evangelical is just this gladness of, of yeah. hearing the good news, as the book of the law says, that people were, what were they doing? They were answering amen and amen, and they were lifting their hands and yeah. bowing yeah. their heads. You know, it got me thinking about our worship is a very interactive worship, participatory on every level. Nobody is sitting there or should be sitting there to be entertained, but that we are all part of the drama. I mean, 
that responds to Ezra reading um, from the book of the law and their memories being recalled, the stories that they were told about their faith and how those things made a connection and their responses were beautiful. And our worship is a responsorial worship. Mm -hmm. And you miss that. And often in my, I had recent, um, recently, um, even even before, when the end of the year came last year, people seeking counseling. And you know, more than ever, uh, I can remember the tool that I used in the counseling that I'd done was the tool of our greeting for gathering. The Lord be with you or the Lord is with you and the response and also with you. And, and often I did that because I heard people seeking um, um, uh, miraculous um, ministerial experiences and, um, you know, people being offered this by various people who call them prophets and advertising their ministerial skills um, in the sawn or wherever else people find these things. And the, 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 their object, it would seem, is to tell you how the devil is at work in your life. Yes. Yep. Never telling you how God is at work in your life. And I said, just how profound is our greeting that says God is at work in your life? No matter what the devil is doing, our focus is on what God is doing. Because God, through Christ, did say to the devil, get behind me, Satan. So, so these people bank on your fear of the devil. They don't focus on God. So I'm so proud that I couldn't draw from our liturgy, from the strength of the, our tradition to be able to use in pastoral counseling. Uh, when mm -hmm. people came. And I think that, that there was a hunger for that participation, a hunger to just be, to be, to feel as if we church again. Mm. in spite of the protocol. So, obviously you are expecting a reduction in church membership. I'm sure you must have felt it over the last two years already um, as people kind of, some people will be emboldened by this kind of thing. They'll find a deeper longing for this kind of shared experience of Eucharist um, of worship, and some people will reevaluate their relationship with, like going to church and doing all of those things. Uh, so, are are you expecting to have to win over a few fencers again? I have every confidence in the membership of our congregations across the board. And especially at the Mother Church, St. Monica's and St. Mark's have shown the same thing. That every encounter I've had after somebody has been here mm. is them exp expressing their longing to gather as we used to. To be a church as we used to, to focus on the ministries that we used to. When I listen to that narrative, 
and I look at new members joining, mm. and I look at people coming to the church because of our active online ministries, mm. as I look to the income over and through the COVID seasons mm. without any measure of fundraising, our parish, and particularly St. George's, but St. Mark's and St. Monica's, the money income has been steady and growing. Mm. So that St. George's, uh, uh, the support of ministry to St. George's, for example, from our membership has grown for the past three years over three million rand wow. without fundraising. Yeah. And uh, without, uh, you know, the collection plate going around in the mm. church, people are putting their money in to say, we, that's my way of understanding in each of these congregations. We want to support this ministry. We want to support what what our what our church has been able to do, what our leadership has been able to do. Um, but I'm I'm not going to be um, adverse to somebody coming to reevaluate their circumstances because that's a normal human response in crisis. Um, mm. But I've just been way way uh, encouraged by the giving, by the sacrificial giving, by the committed giving. Uh, and support for the congregation as well as for the new memberships that have joined. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I I would hope that we would be able to establish um, a growing leadership of lay people amongst us to be able to to help manage the church um, uh, as we go forward, because we need to look at when we eventually come to where there is no COVID, we have things in place because we're working at it now. Um, so I'm I'm going to have to think with current leadership out of the box. Um, but I want to tell you this too. This has been a great challenge to us as priests, where your training may not necessarily emphasize, let's when the crisis happens, this is what you do. Yeah. But our training has been so helpful that I think it goes to the gospel reading. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Mm. That's what ministry is all about. The spirit of the Lord did not suffer COVID-19. So therefore, although we as human beings were challenged by it, the spirit of the Lord was is still active and alive. We needed to ask just how creative we would love the spirit to be within us in order to extend ministry as far as we could. There are incidences where clergy did not do this, where clergy did not allow themselves to become channels through which God the Spirit could continuously work in all kinds of creative ways to keep the, the community, um, interacting with the community and to assure people that we are journeying together with them, even yeah. though we can't yeah. see them, we find ways to connect with them. 
Um, so I, I mean, I personally used, uh, if I hear somebody was sick in, 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 in St. Mark's and Monica's and St. George, I want to know what their number is. I want to know what their names, if they're in hospital. If somebody suffered the death of a family member, I phoned them. If we got to know about it, I phoned them to make my condolences. I wanted them to know that ministry continues, that the spirit of the Lord is still alive and um, in, in, uh, inspiring us to, to reach out. So though there, there are incidences where the clergy did not do this. Yeah. Their congregations suffered. Right now, there are congregations that are going through that. Uh, because the clergy took, in some cases, took this as a way to be on holiday. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's important to to have that sense of community uh, throughout because it was a difficult time for a lot of people, and the the quickest way to alienate people is when leadership um, doesn't kind of pitch up for them uh, during during their, their time of need. Uh, and and it's, it's kind of emphasized here because uh, it goes on to say that after they read from the book uh, clearly and they gave the meaning so that the people understood the reading. And then they say to them, this is this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. And, uh, and I'm imagining in my mind um, <laughs> the masses returning to the the 930 service specifically and the 730 service because you know the 730 service is the the stalwarts <laughs> it, it, take, it takes commitment to <laughs> to get everybody out of the house and into church <laughs> at 730 yes. uh, so then it says to them go on your way eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and that for me means so you're going to have the people who are going to be weeping in the parishes in in the benches uh, tomorrow hearing the words and everything but for me that whole go on your way eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready that means that the community must also share their own epiphanies um yeah. with everybody else uh, and kind of become their own, become evangelists for the, the church within. Uh, is, do you share that kind of sentiment? I, I certainly do. I think you cannot um, uh, um, come to the, the plateau of the worship when you hear, um, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We go in the name of Christ and not go into that kind of... Um, um, a, a, a dismissal to what people need to do next, to how it flows from being uh, with the worship community where central to it is God speaking through the book of the law and um, uh, going to do what they do. When they look at their resources, they see they are blessed and the generosity of God has filled their laps. But, you know, um, Nehemiah is quite, um, and Ezra is quite um, f focused when they then say, but there are some who are not, who have nothing ready, mm. of course they have nothing. And I can tell you that during this time um, of COVID and before, the generosity of the people, not just with the administrative 
pastoral and, and um, worship parts of the life of the church, but with the outreach of the church, hmm. um, we were able to share resources, call upon people to share what they could under very difficult circumstances so that those who have nothing could receive. I just sitting here with um, a message that was sent to me by one of the people, uh, the leaders from, from uh, St. Monica's in West Bank, Georgina Caters, mm -hmm. informing me of her gratitude to the, to the, um, the group that exercises this care on our behalf, gathering food, making the food, using of what resources were brought in, both financial and in kind, and uh, then distributing these food either in parcels or uh, in soup or other food um, or, or that they would watch thing. And how people felt really blessed, particularly over the Christmas period when they received the, these packages. I was in the office on Thursday listening to how as a result of an experience of violence, uh, this woman now suffers from depression and mm. therefore she can't work anymore. And the generosity of our people has been able to ensure that that family, at least for a week, has a food parcel that they can put things together for meals. So that certainly has happened. And again, it you know causes me to be humble, um, grateful that I'm that I'm part of a community of three churches where this kind of generosity flows. Mm. And mm. that people hear and share. Yeah. Um, and so we we look, I mean, I'm, I'm not one to look at numbers, but when I think of them telling me that on one given day you are serving food for between 600 and 650 plus on one day, mm. Um, mm. children, middle-aged people, young people, and, and, and the seniors of, our, of those communities, where hunger is the order of the I received um, a phone call uh, from from the clinic in in West Bank when, where where uh, a Christmas meal was handed out to those with chronic illnesses and and you know if they don't eat their medication is difficult to take. Yeah, they were <laughs> sitting in the little yard um, garden at the clinic eating the meal that was provided by our congregation and our lady. So, yes, I can but say praise be to God. I can say it with tears in my eyes too because of the joy it brings my heart mm. to be part of a congregation that continues to have foresight, that seeks to listen to God, um, that is thankful for his generosity and to be the conduits through which his generosity can flow to those less fortunate. Yeah. So it's always been my kind of my central message uh, when when people ask me when people learn of my agnosticism, um, and they they listen to the podcast and they hear the kind of ideas that I I introduce, um, and we I, I like the people always say you you don't bring up religion or politics into polite company. I'm one of those people who actually does because I like to hear where 
what people believe. And it, it, for me, it tells me a lot about the type of person that they are. Um, also, kind of to see if what they believe is evidenced in their actions, you know, and, and how they are as people. So then the, the question always comes up of like, why I support my children being brought up as Christians. And I've always said that and a culture of universal love um, is something that we should all be promoting. And uh, this, the testimonies that you're giving now of, of what uh, has been done by the parish um, is, it reflects that. It reflects a, a understanding that they are less fortunate in the world and empathy for them and a willingness to improve their circumstances by giving of your excess, you know, um, sacrificing a little bit of, of your comfort to improve the comfort of of another person is is very admirable. But yeah, I I still Continue. hold true that this should just be how people are <laughs> and not because like Jesus set that example. And yeah, like we if you if you come to Luke where Jesus has now gone, Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 21, Jesus has now gone on a little tour, where he'd been to Jerusalem, been baptized, went through to Syria, and like he's at the height of his powers, and he comes back to his home city, and he reads from the scrolls, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to an attendant, to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of the synagogue were all fixed on him. Then he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he's saying Without a shadow of a doubt, I have been sent by God to do all these things that I just read. And I have an issue with that because you always, you always get this feeling that Jesus was kind of hiding his amazingness. So I interpret it as because it wasn't really there to be seen, you know, like. If God was really walking among us, it would be a lot quicker to get to the point um, and not like be labored through all of the, <laughs> the trials and tribulations and the stories and everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't agree with 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 this style of Jesus um, where he is just at his arrogant best um, for me. So how do you marry together the testimonies that you just said um, of generous people helping people and this dude who just lays this brain dump onto a parish? Look for um, many recognize as the passage that in which Jesus sets his, um, his 
modus operandi, his mm. purpose and his mission plan. Um, and he un- helps us to understand that it is a God-inspired, God-intended. Um, when you look at uh, the reference to who this ministry is extended to, um, it is God looking at the world and recognizing that in the poverty of the world, there's a growing amount of people who will be impoverished because um, there is greed and power, there's there's politics that will cause those who assumedly can assume power to then um, minimize um, some to a kind of a lifestyle that is beyond the bread line where survival is not going to happen. And so huge amounts of people die of malnutrition, starvation, even in the 21st century, that is a reality. So, so the social analysis of the spirit of the Lord is quite good uh, in that that which we want to hide. We were speaking earlier on uh, about young people in, the, in our community that as a result of the abuse of drugs end up with uh, complications such as dementia at a very early age. And I told you something I don't know about. So how much of the suffering of our people are actually being hid, hidden and not really revealed out there so that we can ask God to give us the courage to understand and to be utilized to assist in those kind of conditions. There is a book I got on my shelf written, written by Oscar, Oscar Ramirez, who was the Archbishop um, in Nicaragua, and uh, he's written a section called Option for the Poor. And remember, he wrote at a time when um, the liberation theology became uh, a, a reality um, and was killed subsequently at the altar when performing the Eucharist because of its outspokenness. Um, in terms of justice for the poor. Now, how does Oscar and others become inspired to take the courage to speak out, as Desmond Tutu had said of himself, becoming a voice for the voiceless? What makes people do that? And in in both Romero's and, and Tutu situations, they would no doubt have said it was the inspired um, word of God. It was the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon their lives. When they did their prayerful reflections, um, they considered um, how God has blessed them. Um, And so they were also recognizing the plight of others who themselves could not help themselves out of the misery they are in. And it was inflicted by 
laws and regulations in society that has caused all of this to happen. And so many succumbed um, to, to that reality. Who will speak out for them? During apartheid years, Luke chapter 4, 14 to 21, was indeed a motivation for us, as was the exile stories of the Bible. So when people were gathered in the Nehemiah Ezra era and were so moved and touched by what they heard in the scripture, these, remember, were people who had both the experience of the covenant and the experience of being enslaved in exile. And this book of the law becomes the common denominator to inspire them to be able to do what that last part says, to go home, to enjoy the day that God has blessed them with, but also to share with others who are not ready with their own meals. So, so too, we look to what would, in- <coughs> excuse me, what would inspire my heart? What inspires my heart to be able to recognize how, how, how blessed I am to be able to say, of what I receive, how can I share with those less fortunate than myself? You know what I used to do and will still do? I would inflate my use of petrol for personal use over against the percentage I would use for my work. Now, the percentage I use for my work is far higher than the percentage I use for personal, like going to visit people and all that, which is not that big on my agenda. So I would inflate that and I'd say I would do do more driving personally simply because my intention was that if I can give more, government can do more for those less fortunate than I am. That was in my mind. What inspired me to do that? Why was I moved? I'm no doubt I would say with our Lord, The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was a recall of what was said during the Isaiah uh, prophecy. During the time of of them coming out of exile. It was was the time of rebuilding. The time, uh, and I think maybe that's a good theme to be had. We start this new year in a COVID circumstance. A part is, 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 is in order to build something new, we have to rebuild what was broken down. Mm. And so mm. the recall of wherein, when, when, when Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me, wherein is, in all of this is God, is the spirit of God, the spirit that inspires. That, that, it was very interesting when you said people asked you about your agnosticism, but why you raise your children, because you inspired by the idea of universal love. Mm. That is the kind of work of the spirit, in my view, that Jesus was talking about. It was no level of arrogance that he was on about. But here was already him saying, the option I have, and it was a very radical one. Going against the grain of the of the of the of the the, the, the those in the in power, which was the 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 um, uh, the minimum of people over against the populace that was suffering. 
And he was willing to say, this is what I am called to do as the spirit of the Lord gives me utterance, wisdom and power to do this. Um, and, and I mean, I again, with, with uh, just, just dawned on me, you know, when one reads and rereads scripture, yeah. how you see yeah. things you don't see before. Verse 40, we always started with verse 16, always because it was, you know, now the spirit of the Lord has come. In fact, verse 18 was the big one. But we started with 16 because it was in the temple and he was given the skull to read. So he yeah. was asked yeah. to be the speaker in the temple for that worship session. But verse 14 says, when he returned to Galilee, he was already filled with the power of the spirit in a unique way. So on entry into a return, he came back to where he started his ministry. Yeah. In, yeah. in the inner chapters. So, so now he's... He's helping us to see this thing of universal love, the energy, the wisdom, the heart of God is all about helping to grow a society where everybody is going to be recognized and everybody will be given an opportunity and that those who can't help themselves will be helped so that they can learn to participate. In, in life without being pushed out um, where selfishness and injustice will be challenged, where um, uh, um, excessive wealth. I was, I was literally interested in a program this week which had as its format um, what billionaires have done to the world. Mm. And you know the very, very interesting a, a coral line, if I can put it like that, was that they give to charity to avoid paying proper taxes. Now, giving to charity still keeps people in bondage. Paying yeah. taxes, taxes challenges the government to look at those who cannot help themselves and to help them out of that, to put them on a footing where they can help themselves together with helping others, which is what the Ezra passage or the Nehemiah passage is inciting us to do. Mm. When we go mm. back, we must become a community of care, to care for, for, for each other. Now, those can only happen if we truly have a, an, in, an, an, a, a, an intervention and an inspiration. Mm. Because mm. my eyes and ears are too shallow to see and hear the need of my brother and my sister across the fence. I need, I'll dare to say this, I need God, because this is God's world, to help me to be what God wants his world to be. Uh, that's that that um, song that says, let there be peace on earth, that refrain is always so resounding, but let that begin with me. I'm asking for a better world, but let me be ready to stand and be the one to start it wherever I am uh, and not look to others to do so. So Jesus mm -hmm. says, I am part of this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and I will take this step forward and I will kneel down and help my brothers and sisters who are in poverty with not only a gospel of good news, but the action of the gospel, which is good news. Mm. And he did that, not in arrogance, but as the servant 
called to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as the one who showed others what can be done in community with God in order to build a community of justice and peace in the world. And so I conclude with this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me now. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the spirit is there. We have heard. How are we responding? And have we responded enough? Because yes, you threw out your next point very quickly. So the poor are still there. Have we heard the scriptures? The scriptures that move the people to weep on a holy day. They were courage to look at that day differently, not with mourning. Of course, the poor is still there and the poor are getting poorer. Mm. Are we part of the good news and the option for them? As COVID and other things made us so impoverished that we don't see the Spirit of the Lord active in the world, in God's world, through us. Have we heard so that we can continue His work in His Spirit? Well, that's the thing. It's like the billionaires have doubled their wealth due, during the time of COVID. Like the top 10 richest people in the world have doubled their wealth. Tripled their wealth also. Uh, the, message, the, the message isn't getting there. Because you know, people are not hearing. The message being sussed. Not because they're not hearing. Like they don't pay taxes to the extent they should because they pay people to find the loopholes and to make the situation more comfortable for them so that they can maintain their wealth. Um, this message is not getting to them. There's like I, I've said to, towards the end of, of last year during during like on this podcast that who did Jesus die for because they billions of people around the world who are not Christian, who do not believe these things and continue on their way. Like, what was the victory? You know? Yeah. And like, for me, when he is portrayed as saying this kind of thing in this context, feeling himself, having gone on his whirlwind trip, a round swell of support, having the Sanhedrin on his tail, you know, watching every move, trying to find little things to trip him up on. So he's, he's, he's in a, he's, he's really feeling his power here. And then to say this and to go through everything that he went through and for nothing to change except the message. <laughs> uh, well, really 2000 years from that time and his name is still around. <laughs> His they message. be still around, but there's still poor people, there's yes, still oppressed people, we, there's still slaves. We have not heard. We're struggling to hear. 
there is really an issue in our hearing. You know, you know from your experiences that people hear what they want to hear. Some have even labeled it selective hearing. And there are various uh, personal yeah. reasons why people choose to hear what they, they would hear. Because if when we hear, we, thought we, we go through processes and what we hear often challenges what are we prepared to now do in response to what we are hearing? And I often find myself um, asking the question, where in the practice of the community of the church do we see that the community has collectively heard what the scriptures were saying on a given day? Because we respond with, we respond to with, uh, we respond to hear, hear the word of the Lord and we say thanks be to God. What are we together saying thank you for? And is there a mechanism we are missing out post-Eucharistic service to actually look more deeply at what it is that we've heard? I have now, and reflected on this this week, um, chosen to preach to use the texts that we use on Sunday, on a Wednesday, if I'm at St. Mark's, and on a Thursday here at St. George's, and try and focus on the same message we spoke so that it forms part of the week's con con consideration, part of the week's mm. discussion. You know, that, that central text of the Sunday liturgy. Um, yeah. Because we tend to go from text to text without looking at what it is we were, to, when we were gathered together collectively, how were we gathered to be able to collectively understand what it is we must carry out uh, as, as those who, in response to what Jesus has said, we have heard and therefore we are, we believe this is what we have to do. The, the church very much tells us to go into the world, uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. So are you left then to your own individual ways of doing this? Or is there a necessity that the community needs to either gather or have some kind of a platform that would say, this is what we've heard on the Sunday, and this is how we are carrying out what we, are here, what we have heard in the service. So this is a, a community exercise that has bolstered <laughs> us to, to act. Um, now, uh, depending on what we've heard together, because we still have, although you have your priest or your, and your preacher who has preached on a particular yeah. text or try to combine the text together to get the central theme, would that theme be helpful for, for the rest of the week to, 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 to grapple with in order to say how do we then live out what the mm. common theme for the week was. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody agrees that, for example, the theme I chose today, and you would notice, I, I hoped, I thought you would pick it up, but you haven't made mention of it yet. I chose Elizabeth S. Vidot, who calls herself the poet X, and a quote she gave on the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the weird thing about the Bible is that Almost everything in it is a metaphor. Now, I wonder how traditional Christians would respond to the Bible being everything in it being called a metaphor. 
you know, and then she goes on, there's, there's a whole lot of ex, ex, uh, explanation that she gives about, about how things are described in the Bible and, and what we do in response to that. Um, so, so um, I, I, yeah, um, Lindsay, going into the 21st century and into a, in the to, year 22, yeah. now mm-hmm. this new century, how much has changed? And how much needs to change for improvement and betterness? Uh, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And does peace come with a sacrifice? Does it peace always does. Yeah. And does peace come with me reaching out to hold somebody else's hand? Um, I was inspired today, and I'm going to end with you because I'm speaking so long. Yeah. I came into the office after the first service was completed before I went. When the first service was completed, the funeral service, and I was ready now to go to, to Velmut. And I was introduced to Norman. Norman used to be a member of the church here 10 years ago. And Norman had gone away and had taken his papers with him or had asked for his papers to be sent so that he could join the church on the other side. Well, the papers were never sent. Mm. Norman is back 10 years now. And one of the congregants said to him, yeah, who knows about him, Norman, when are you coming back to church? Today, Norman was in the, was in the funeral service. Mm. And Norman came to check out about his membership. I come into the office and I meet Norman and hear that he sees this opportunity to fulfill a desire he was having to be part of the community again. The community that he left in order to join somewhere else because of work and all other purposes. I don't have the words, Lindsay, to express my joy in having met Norman, having sensed his pleasant personality, but also him wanting to be back again with us, wanting to be part of us, checking out his membership. I don't have the words to express what that means to me. Because this man could have been disappointed and said, Well, I wanted my papers, you didn't send it. Here he is back at the church that whose whose, whose leadership disappointed him, but he'd not given up. Others inspired him to consider it. Mm. He chose an opportunity to do it. That tells me something about hearing and responding. Mm. And I'm just interested to know. How a congregation hears when a reading is fulfilled in their hearing. Because that's a that's the most challenging part of the reading for me um, on Sunday. What does that really, really mean? Or I mean, you said it so beautifully. Nehemiah and Ezra, they read. Things were explained. Yeah. And what were people doing? Weeping, 
saying amen, lifting up their hands, bowing down in act of worship in response to what they heard. That, that law was learned from, from when they were knee high. Mm. And it was ever new, even after an experience such as the exodus, the exile. Mm. What was it about that which they were hearing that inspired them? This is a good thing to ponder on for the next week when I will see you again. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for a fantastic first episode of the year. And yeah, I hope you guys will join us again next week. Thank you very much, Father. Thanks. Thanks very much for you, Lindsay. <laughs>